boom, I just dropped some satire on your ass, General. This is episode 51 of They're All Going to Laugh at Him. I'm Alex Sprague. And I'm Jess Geyer. Alex, what did we watch this week? We watched Western classic Ridiculous Six. Or The Ridiculous Six, I guess. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, it is... Well, calling it a Western classic. Yeah, just... It, it, the movie's about Western classics is what I was kind of meant to say there, and it didn't really come out right. Right. Um, this movie's actually directed by the same person who directed several other Happy Madison movies. He directed The Wedding Singer, The Water Boy, Click, Zookeeper, Here Comes the Boom, Blended, and The Ridiculous Six. Yeah, it's directed by Frank Caracci, right? I don't know how to say his last name necessarily. Um, and it's written by Tim Hurley and Adam Sandler, the, you know, guys who did Billy Madison. Yeah, and we are watching all 60 Adam Sandler and Adam Sandler adjacent films in a row every day for 60 days and podcasting about it. Why are we doing this and why did we watch The Ridiculous Six? Just for once, let me look on you with my own eyes. They were right. They were right about me. Tell your brother they were right. The ability to destroy a movie is insignificant next to the power of the laughter. And you have only begun to discover your power. (laughs) Join me, and I will complete your training. You don't know the power of the satire. Or in other words, does Adam Sandler deserve all the hate? Much like did Vader deserve all the hate? Some Some people say no. (laughs) Some Adam drivers say no. I do say yes (laughs) about Vader. Vader was a fascist. Of course he deserves the hate. Yeah. And, And so does Ben Solo, idiots. He's a fucking he space does. Nazi, dummies. Yeah, he killed a lot of people. You remember how he like blew up some planets? Yeah, like like whole planets, like literally whole planets. Oh, you but don't remember that, dude? Just because you got a sick, wide body like him doesn't mean he gets to get away with the fascism. Why is his body so wide? I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of trying to get that wide though. That'd be sick. Don't please. <laughs> I, I feel like that. It would just. It would be weird. It would be weird. He's he's That'd be weird. I don't know how he got that one. Um anyway. Why did I quote Star Wars for this when we watched a Western movie? Well, it's because Star Wars is kind of a space western, but more accurately, it's a space samurai movie, and all Western movies are just samurai movies. Um if this is news to you, you should learn about samurai movies. Um but most popular even uh western movies from like the start of the genre were like a shot for shot remakes basically of good samurai movies and uh it's important to talk about that because western movies are very problematic in general yes and um i guess there might be samurai movies that were problematic but i don't really know but taking um, the ideas and the plot lines from a samurai movie and putting them entirely into a Western movie really gloss over some of the terrible problems of early America. Yeah. I mean, it's not even really early America. It's, it's, that's like yeah, middle, yeah. Mid, mid, mid times America. And this movie does. This movie, I'm sure that you know, Ridiculous Six had 
um, some controversy during its filming. Originally, it was reported that a bunch of people walked off the set. People of um, uh, Native American, of indigenous descent, um, walked off the set because they were upset about the movie. They thought that they were being um, portrayed negatively. Later on, it was reported that it was just four people. Of over 150, from what I could see. Yeah. I'm not saying that their their reasonings for walking out the set were unfounded. There are some there are problematic elements to this movie that don't just involve the satire itself. Yes. But most of it is a satire of how Western movies portrayed these groups. And all in all, um, I know like from what from what Adam Sandler said, he didn't want this movie to be making fun of um, the 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 tribe that's portrayed in this movie are the Apaches, um, and he didn't want to make fun of them. He wanted them. To, I mean, they're the good guys in the movie. Mm-hmm. They're um, they're portrayed like normal, regular folk, uh, whereas it's all of the racists and the rich people that are the bad people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that is a good way to frame it. Is it really Adam Sandler's job to do that? No. Yeah. But when when you are making fun of a Western movie, I mean, I think it's a valid form of satire. And when you do satire, you are opening yourself up to criticism. It's part of it's part of the job. Um, for those yeah. of you who don't know, I I am gonna just define what satire means because some people think that it just means telling jokes, and that's wrong. Yeah, S- satire requires two things: it requires wit, which is basically humor. And it requires criticism. You have to criticize something. If you don't have both of those pieces, you don't have satire. Yeah. Um, do you have a uh, example of like maybe a famous satirist? Yeah. Um, maybe one that was even like uh, put in this movie. Are you like I can I can probably come up with one. Um, Mark Twain, maybe. Yeah. Like Mark Twain. He talked about stuff. Like racism and class and you know capitalism, but he was also funny, and I wonder if they would put someone like this in a movie in order to show <laughs> that this is supposed to be satire. Um, I think so, but we'll talk about that later. I think one of the really funny things about um, about that is Huckleberry Finn, which is a, one of the books that they they mention. Yeah, he said he just finished writing it in the movie. Yeah, Huckleberry Finn has been criticized for some of its racist attitudes, but there's like a big controversy among English teachers. Like, is it racist or is it all satire? Is it somewhere in between? Should we be teaching this book? Um, Should we be censoring? Um, One of the characters' names includes a racial slur, for example. Uh, So that's like a big controversy in like in education uh for Mm -hmm. sure and i'm sure literature in general but i of course just know like the education sphere of things and and like i said that that's you know where satire can get you even if you execute satire completely perfectly there are still going to be people who misunderstand your point and uh it's it's totally valid for you to be criticized for it yeah um there is no um level of satire you can make where someone won't take it seriously unfortunately 
Yeah. I mean, I've, I've done lessons with my students where I give them an Onion article. That's like the most ridiculous thing ever. I give it to them with no context and tell them to read it and like and annotate it like we would any other article. And there's always at least one person, usually more, who think that it's real and start like, I can't believe this. I can't believe this is happening. And I'm like, well, yeah, I want you to think about it a little bit more because <laughs> people think that they won't be fooled by satire. Um, and they're wrong. No one's no one's immune to being fooled by satire. Yeah, I've I've taken two. I try to lie as much as possible in casual conversation <laughs> to the point where people don't believe me. And I think I'm doing a like strong public uh, service by people being like, I don't know, man, I don't trust anything anyone fucking says because Alex won't stop lying about Yu-Gi-Oh. That was one of my earliest lessons as a kid. My uncle um, would tell me all sorts of like ridiculous things and try to get me to believe them. Yeah, I remember... Uh, Specifically, there was a time I told my brother's, uh, one of his girlfriends, like, right after he was done high school, I said something like, that place down the road was, like, a old chimney from, like, the settlers of this area, and that's why they called it Four <laughs> Corners. It was just where four houses had chimneys, and she's like, oh, really? And then my brother started laughing, and she's like, god damn it, you both fucking do that? And I realized so it was funny. just, like, a a family thing to make up dumb things on the spot. It's it's fun to do. Yeah. Everyone should lie more. Have you thought about that? That's my opinion. <laughs> um, anyway, I laughed uh, 56 times in this movie. Um, it's close to two hours long, so it's that's like one every two minutes. That's pretty good. Um, nothing great. I generally liked the movie. I don't think it was fantastic, though. I actually thought it was a decent western film. Yeah. It had a, it had a pretty predictable plot, but mm -hmm. it had a decent plot. Uh the humor, you know, if you like gross out humor, you'll you'll like this movie. Um but it also has some, you know, it has some higher tier comedy in there as yeah. well. Yeah. There's a there's a scene where they make fun of baseball. That was one of the funniest things. <laughs> oh my gosh. I've it's liked so seen. funny. Oh man, that that's a great scene. This is a three-star Sandler movie produced by Happy Madison, stars Adam Sandler, written by Adam Sandler. This is an important one. This is something he obviously wants to talk about um, or, you know, get out there in some way. Mm -hmm. And I found it interesting because I was able to find multiple people saying this was a paid vacation for him. And it's... <laughs> to where? It's in the fucking middle of the desert most of the time. And I'm like, you think... Adam Sandler couldn't buy a ranch and just live there forever. He's not taking a vacation to Idaho or Tombstone, Oklahoma. Like he can just go there. He could probably buy Tombstone right now, but he has plenty of money, <laughs> you know, Yeah. on that point. What do you think the critics and the audience rated this movie? I, I think that critics gave it like a 10%. And I think that the audience gave it probably, I'm going to say that this one was probably really popular to hate. I'm going to say it's like a 36. Um, you're really close with the audience score. It's a 33%. Um, mm -hmm. There is only 3,300 ratings for that, which is about at times like a thousand times less popular than a lot of movies. Um, but the critic rating is a zero. Oh my god, okay. A straight All right. zero. Um I'd I again I'd give this like a six or seven. Um 
personally, I thought it was a pretty decent movie. It's, you know, not great, but it's funny. I can definitely see, again, the arguments for this movie being racist. It does have racist portrayals, of course, because Rob Schneider's in the movie. <laughs> God, why yeah. Rob Schneider? And, he yeah. plays Ramon. He plays um, Frank. Uh, he plays the, the Mexican brother. Yeah, um, and has an accent. But um, I don't know if you want to talk about this now or later. How interesting it was that he later puts on a different accent while acting. Yeah, actually, I thought that was pretty clever. Because um, there is a scene where he pretends to be a rich uh, coffee farmer. Yeah. And he puts on a European Spanish accent for that. And instead. Proving that he could have done like, I mean, I don't really... His, his portrayal originally was racist, but that portrayal within the movie of him acting was not racist. Um, and I was like, that's pretty good. I'm actually digging that. Um, and I was like, damn it, Rob. Yeah. <laughs> he knows better. We know that he knows better. Yeah, he is of the mind, though, um, that the person who can do the best for that position God. should get it. And he thinks that's him. I mean... I would note that none of the other actors want to have racist portrayals as their people. It's like his shtick now. Yeah, I don't know. At, at, at some point, he's just doing it to piss people off. But let's recap the movie real quick so we can get into some of these things. Because I want to talk about them. Yeah, I, sorry. I was just looking up the, the tomato meter. I wanted to see what people were saying, um, the critics are saying. Um, they say a bunch of dumb shit, basically. Um, can't oh fail to gosh. notice the cavalier racist attitudes and endlessly pliable woman. If you think prostitution wasn't like popular in old West towns, you're wrong. Um, and that's also not a necessarily bad thing. It's just actually, know. I mean, they subvert the trope of the damsel in distress. I think in a pretty interesting way in this. Yeah. Yes, his his fiance does get kidnapped. She gets she, kidnapped she trying escapes. to save them. So. Well, she escapes first mm -hmm. from the first kidnapping because she's smarter than them. And the second time that she's kidnapped, she's trying to save the dad. And she also helps at the end win the, the end fight. Yeah. So she's not really, I mean, she's kind of a damsel in distress, but they do sort of subvert that. I'll recap. <laughs> and, uh, okay. So, White Knife, played by Adam Sandler, is the adopted white child in an Apache tribe. His mother died when he was young, and he believed that his father was dead, too. He is engaged to... And this is this is the name that I really don't like. Her name is Smoking Fox. I know it's supposed to be a joke. It's supposed to be a parody of all of the ridiculous, you know, Western names for Native Americans that they had. That the that Western movies had, I yes, think. Yes, yeah, sorry, yeah. Yes. She's played by Julia Jones. Anyway, uh, the two of them beat up the left eye gang outside of a shop owned by a racist, and they pin the racist shopkeep upside down on the water tower. The left eye gang is a gang where everybody has a an eye patch over their right eye because they plucked it out to show their allegiance to the gang. His dad, Frank Stockburn, uh, who is played by, um, what's his name? Nick Nolte. Mm -hmm. He shows up and he says that he's dying of consumption. Consumption is tuberculosis. 
and that he has $50,000 to give to Tommy, which is White Knife's name. Um, so I'm going to call him Tommy for the rest of this. That, that was what he was named by uh, his father. It's not what yes. he goes by until right. that part. Until he's like disguising himself and stuff. Yeah. Yes. Um, he gives him, uh, he says that he has $50,000 to give to him that he's buried by a pine tree nearby. Uh, however, the next day, his former gang, led by Danny Trejo, who's a character named Cicero, shows up demanding the money. Frank says that he, that he buried it next to a singing windmill, and they take him to go uncover it. Well, Tommy knows that that was a lie. Uh, and since his cowardice killed his mom, because his mom was only out, she got shot by a stranger while she was walking him to school, uh, he can't let his dad die too, because he's too afraid. So his plan is to show up at the windmill and give $50,000 to the gang because uh, he knows that when they dig up the 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 spot, they know, he, he knows that they won't find money. Uh, so his plan is to steal from bad people, come up with $50,000 and meet them there. Along the way, he meets five of his half-brothers. Uh, one is Ramon, played by Rob Schneider, who has a burrow that can projectile poop. Uh, another is Lil Pete, played by Taylor Lautner, um, <laughs> who is not very smart, but has a very strong neck. Uh, this is one of the borderline offensive caricatures, too. But again, a trope in a lot of uh, Western movies. Yeah, is the fool. He plays um, very much like a Lenny from Of Mice and Men kind of way. Uh, except that it does show that he like reads and writes and stuff to his mother throughout it. So yeah. yeah. It- it's more in the way he talks. Yes. And I do want to point out at this point, they do kind of make reference to the five Chinese brothers. I don't know if it's on purpose or not, but I did find that interesting. Cause his Yeah, do you want to explain that? So uh, the five Chinese brothers was a children's book I was given um, as a kid. Which I don't really remember, but I do remember the brothers were like convicted of a crime and then they try to kill them. And, like, one can drink an entire sea. One has an unbreakable iron neck. Uh, I think one can hold his breath forever. And then, like, one's uh, can't be burned or something like that. It, it doesn't really matter. But basically, um, they're, they're making some references to that, I believe. Because Lautner's character has a strong neck and can't be hung, basically. Yeah. Uh, there's also Chico, played by Terry Crews, who is a beefy piano player. Uh, and Danny, played by Luke Wilson, who drinks a lot, can hold his breath for six minutes, and has a secret to tell his dad. That's why he wants to find his dad. And finally, there's Herm, a mountain man who can't, and Moonshiner, who can't really talk, and is very strong. I also uh, want to point out, The Five Chinese Brothers is a book that has been, like, taken out of classrooms for being uh, offensive due to its stereotypes, basically. The stereotypes being how... The characters are drawn in the book. Oh, I yeah. see. Okay. That was that was why I wanted to bring it up, and I forgot to mention that part. <laughs> okay, I gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, the Ridiculous Six uh, go across the West stealing money. Oh, sorry. Herm is played by uh, Jorge Garcia, right? Isn't that his name? Yeah, Hurley from Lost is how I know him. Or the drug dealer from uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Good, good characters. Yeah, Jorge Garcia. I was making sure I didn't get his name wrong. Anyway, um... They go and they they steal from the rich. Uh, they like steal from a bank owner. They steal a racist um, bank owner. Oh yes, a racist bank owner. 
Um, they steal from uh, a real big jerk uh, who runs a saloon. An old gang member who was part of his, their father's gang <laughs> and was part of the cavalry that uh, murdered a bunch of natives. Yes. And Ramon, he hits him with a shovel and decapitates him in in a very funny scene. Yeah. (laughs) Doesn't mean to kill him, decapitate him. (laughs) The body still shoots. Yeah. Oh, that's good stuff. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, Steve Buscemi also reprises his role as a barber in this one. (laughs) And in a a role, I would say, that would make Sidney Malkoroy just die is him putting the same ointment on every wound he sees and then, like, putting it in someone's, like, open wound and then smearing it on his mouth and stuff like that. Yeah, I actually really liked that scene because barbers in the Old West, if you didn't know, audience, they were not only people who would shave you uh, and give you a haircut, but they would also... um, They're your dentist, and they would also treat wounds, typically by... Chopping shit blood off. Bloodletting. <laughs> Chopping shit off, bloodletting mostly, though. Yeah. Um, yeah. So now you know, if you didn't know that already. And it was disgusting. <laughs> and a lot of times didn't really do anything. Um, anyway, they are also tracked as they do this. Uh, th- so they're following clues to find the singing windmill because they don't know where, where it actually is. Uh, and they are tra- being tracked by the left eye gang who end up making that racist shopkeep from the beginning poke out his good left eye to join the gang. They also end up kidnapping Smoking Fox, uh, the fiance, uh, but she escapes because the racist shopkeep is basically blind now, so she's able to get away. The five brothers also talk about how much they want to meet their dad, and Tommy slash White Knife is just sad about the mother he lost because he has two dads, he feels like. He has Frank and there's also Screaming Eagle, his adopted dad, who raised him. They also help invent baseball with John Turturro. Oh, it's so good. John, <laughs> Who's in it? He's a British guy. I love he, it. He's like, Abner Doubleday, the inventor of baseball. Yeah, I, 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 I love this scene because he's trying to teach... Um, He's trying to teach the rules of baseball and he keeps making stuff up so he wins. Um, but it's all the actual rules of baseball, like the really weird ones. Uh, it, that's It's just a really funny scene. And he tells them that he used to play poker every Valentine's Day at a man named Ezekiel's home. So they have all $50,000, but while they're swimming and having fun, the left eye gang shows up and tries to kill them. But Danny's breath-holding power saves them because he's able to go underwater, come up on the other side and shoot them. Uh, But they end up stealing the $50,000. It's a little after this that we learn Danny's secret. He was Abraham Lincoln's bodyguard. (laughs) (laughs) Who, Who went to take a dump during the play and told, uh... John Wilkes Booth. Who was an actor he really respected. Where to find Abraham Lincoln. That, that was just so silly. Yeah. So he feels like very indebted. He wants to ask his dad, like, how, how do you live with the fact that you've killed so many people? Herm comes up with the idea to rob the poker game. Uh, and they come up with a good plan. Uh, but things go awry. And, uh, but eventually they get all the money. Um, the other people who are at the poker game include uh, General Custer. 
who is played by David Spade. Um, and Vanilla Ice, who does a an actually decent job acting, although he doesn't act like Mark Twain. Yes. It is Vanilla Ice acting like Mark Twain, but he doesn't seem so stiff and wooden. Yeah, I was he shocked. has a lot of fun with Mark Twain, and it it works really well. He plays this yeah. like robust, like slangy uh, Mark Twain who just keeps making jokes and stuff. Mm-hmm. The quote I started with was from that, but he'll he'll just shout satire at the end of a joke when people are confused, which yeah. I find hilarious. Yes, and Wyatt Earp, who's played by Blake Shelton. Wyatt Earp is actually the one that almost, um, well, there are a couple things that mess up their plan, but Wyatt Earp is the danger there because he's a sharpshooter. But they 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 get the jump on him and they steal the $50,000 from the table. So now they have the $50,000. They know where their dad is. So they go there to the singing windmill and they give him the, they give the gang the money. But Tommy has realized that Cicero, Danny Trejo is the guy who killed his mom. So he kills Danny Trejo. And this, this starts uh, like a, a standoff, a very funny standoff where they zoom in on literally everybody's face. There are 14, like, <laughs> like, what? Yeah. It's like, it was a long, prolonged scene where they zoom in on, like, all 22 people's faces. Because uh, the Left Eye Gang, I, I, I skipped this too. They found the Left Eye Gang buried up to their neck. The, the other gang mm-hmm. buried them up to their neck. Uh, but they apparently dug them out and the Left Eye Gang helps him in this standoff. But Frank convinces them, it's fine, go, you'll have, it's fine, because he was just avenging his mom's death, and now you have fewer people to split the money with, so they leave. There's a touching scene where Frank uh, is introduced to all of his kids, and uh, then Tommy asks him to be his best man in his wedding. But Frank says that he needs to pay off his doctor, so he's going to go settle some gambling debts um, to get some money that he's owed. But Tommy says that they actually made $50,000 twice. So he doesn't need to go get any more money. And Frank calls the gang back. It turns out that this was his scheme all along. The plan was to get $50,000 without lifting a finger. And uh, luckily, the first bag with all the money had a bomb that was meant for Cicero. Um, So the bomb goes off and it starts this big shootout. It also turns out that um, they've kidnapped Smoking Fox at this point, too. And Frank runs with her into a mine shaft. Tommy chases them, but they beat him together by working together. And Tommy decides not to kill Frank, but leaves him there. Um, also, Danny has jumped in front of a bullet to save Tommy. But yeah, Tommy yeah. decides not to kill him. Or White Knife, as I should say now, because that's what he will go by. And uh, they have a wedding. And it's a good time. The end. Yeah, um, so there's a lot of actually kind of thematic elements to this. Um, There's the idea of who family is and who, like, how raising people affects them, I guess would be the best way to say it. Um, And I think that was the most interesting uh, part off the front for me is uh, Tommy is seen as a very skilled and, like, able to what's the term like he's competent he's a competent person yes um yeah. and he's really mystically so yeah they uh, that that's a lot of the the jokes about western movies but uh 
he he's able to do stuff um very well and doesn't have just kind of one talent necessarily even though his specialty is knives and some of the the guys who were raised by a, a single mother in like a harsh environment have less good upbringing um especially herm whose mother had been killed was shown to like you know have uh, he couldn't speak he he still had like a good sense of humor and was a decent person but was obviously coming from like a harder background compared mm-hmm. to uh terry cruz's character who was a pianist and was basically perfectly well off just not working a job he liked yeah or ramon who like knew his mom and everything yeah uh but so there there are kind of two competing factors here too cuz there's the idea of your found family Mm-hmm. So I think you can consider that both, like, of course, um, Adam Sandler's character being adopted into uh, the Apache tribe. Yes. Uh, that's like, it's it's not his blood family, but there's also the importance of blood because the reason why all of these guys want to go along with him on this journey is because they feel such a strong attachment to this father that they don't know because... He is their biological father. Yeah. But it turns out he's a shitbag at the end. And that's one of my favorite parts about it is, A, they have six guys who look nothing alike to each other. They have nothing Mm -hmm. in common except for a father. And that makes them feel like they should stay together and do all these things. And nothing about their father has anything to do with them. Um, One Mm -hmm. of my favorite scenes is uh, Terry Crews, after he joins up, says like, hey... I just want to let you guys know that my mother was black, so that makes me <laughs> half black, just in case you guys thought it was okay to say any, like, racial slurs around me or anything. I, like, hope we're, like, still cool. And they're like, oh, really? Um, but, like, because uh, he's yeah. obviously black. Yeah. Terry Crews is obviously a black man. <laughs> um, and then later, his father recognizes him because he's extremely muscular, and he's like, oh, you take after your mother, not because he's a black um, yeah. Which is yeah, just funny that they're they're doing it that way. They also have uh, scenes where they look at Nick Nolte, then Adam Sandler, and they're like, oh, he must be your kid. And people are like, and the audience is supposed to be like, what the fuck? They don't look anything alike. What are you talking yeah. about? Um, yeah. And they do a good job with that type of thing. Um, but really, they do a good job at showing, you know, your blood family is really not that important. Yeah. It's. And it's it's not really. Yeah. I mean. The, the people who are important to you are are the people that you feel like, obviously people have a connection to the people that, that raised them. Like, you know, the family that you grew up with. Yeah. But of course people do feel a connection to their biological family. I mean, adopted children often want, not always, but they often want to seek out, you know, their biological parents just because people like to know where they come from. Yeah. I mean, it's why people take genetics tests and, uh, like, I have a personal opinion about this because my grandmother was adopted, but before that she was part of some native group in America that we don't know because adoption didn't really keep records back then. Well, it was also probably a forced adoption. Yeah. Considering when your 
Well, not that, like, I'm not saying that yeah, your yeah. great-grandparents or anything did anything bad, but, I mean... No, no, I... A lot of Native American children were forcibly taken away from their parents and, and put up for adoption. And it, it's not something they like to talk about, so it's not something I was told about, and... Right. So I don't really know, but, uh... It's it's why I was so interested in that kind of idea, especially, you know, now that it I'm not sure if she even knew, but now that it seems like a little too late for me, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think that both both ways of looking at family are valid. And just because you have like they're not mutually exclusive. Yeah, you can really value your adopted family and your adopted family's culture and still feel a strong connection to your biological, like like your biological parents' culture. It, it, we're we're able to hold both ideals. What you know? what I was getting at is like, I I wish I knew more about that, and I think that would be a cool thing to know more about. But at the same time, I have uh, I have a Frank Stockton in my family. I have a guy who has beaten multiple of his wives as a grandfather, and. I haven't talked to him since the day I turned 18, because why would I? That's the type of person yeah. you shouldn't have in your life. Yes, exactly. I have I have a cousin who was a cop who doesn't talk to me anymore because I told him Antifa was a good thing. Um, and he is racist. So, yeah, I'm just not going to be f- 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 uh, family with him. And I, I know it's something I can do a little easier than a lot of people is just be like, uh-huh. yeah, you're not allowed in my life anymore. And I don't take any issue with that. But it's because I value the found family I've found, like, gotten as an adult much higher than a lot of people, I think, do. Like, I'm not so interested in going home for Thanksgiving. I'm very interested in spending time with, like, people I actually enjoy spending time with on Thanksgiving. Yeah. I, I have a pretty decent, you know, relationship with my family. But... I know, like, when I was in college, found family was super important for for me and a lot of my friends because so many of my friends were queer. So many of my friends were from, um, like, they they either left their religion or changed their religion. And not because they necessarily wanted to, you know, leave their, their quote-unquote real families behind, but they were kind of forced out and pushed out. A lot of my friends were forced out and pushed out of their their families for various reasons. Uh, it's super important for people to, you know, think about what's valuable to them and be around people who who have similar values. Sometimes those are the people that, that helped raise you, and sometimes they're not. Yeah, um, and I think this movie did a generally good job talking about that. Yeah, there's this scene where Frank St- Stockburn says to his kids like have you ever been any have you ever been any good at anything in your life except for bank robbing the apple apple doesn't far fall for oh gosh that's really hard to say for me right now the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree and i i get that moment like mm-hmm. that moment where you like you've idolized someone in your family and found out that they've done something like that they're not a good person yeah like that's a tough moment to reckon with and to deal with and in the end, I, I like that. I mean, none of the other kids were like, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm being conflicted here. No, they're they're all just on each other's side. Like, as soon as they realize that this guy's a bad dude, they stand up to protect each other instead. Yeah. And the other theme, because I, 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 do you have anything more on that? No, I don't yeah. think so. The other big theme is the satire of Western depictions of race. Um, 
which there's a lot to in this movie. Yes, all of the bad guys are racist. Yes, and have, like, genocided um, in a lot of yeah. times. <laughs> the movie starts with, uh, like, signs that are basically, you know, racist signs to keep out of this store. It shows from the start, we're going to talk about this. Um, mm-hmm. Adam Sandler walks in, who is a white man, who is dressed like a native, and they tell him to get out, and he's like, and he lies and says, I just dress like this to uh, protect myself from them. And then they sell to him. And then he walks out and you see his fiance, who is a native. And they realize he was lying and people try to kill him for it. But he does a ridiculous fighting thing where he like walks on his hands and kicks people in the face and stuff. Very Zohan-esque. Yeah. But it shows that he's lying and he does it to protect himself. And then throughout the movie, they they are constantly bringing up race in order to show every white rich dude in Old West was racist. Yeah, and they bad. all sucked. <laughs> and like, and not, and they don't like, they don't pull punches about it. They have like a guy reading a newspaper about like Custer massacring the Apache tribe. I think it was the yeah. Apache tribe. Yes, they said Godless Apache was the yeah. was the headline. And that's probably a real headline somewhere yeah, out there says, in the Old West it was paper. Calvary massacres Godless Apaches, which is like, it's obviously not a joke, but what it is is showing up like this is how they're viewed in this culture. But we can see in the movie, they are the most <laughs> like normal and balanced people. Everyone else is like doing some some wild shit. Yeah, they're they're the colonizers. They they make a really funny joke too because Sandler's character doesn't want to take um, Apache men with him on his mission to get these fifty thousand dollars because he knows that they'll be treated unkindly out in the world. Yeah, um, that that'll be risky just for them to move throughout the world. And then they have <laughs> the his dad says like, "What about him? Like he could do a really good white guy impression." Oh yeah, dude, I was dying at that. I think it was. That was so funny. I like playing with my chest hair. I think was the thing he said. <laughs> Something like that. It was so funny. But yeah, like they, there are different scenes too. Like Ramon feels bad at first about robbing the bank, until he overhears the bank owner talk about how Mexicans are greasy. Yeah, the it- the bank owner <laughs> says to a white woman, "Like, I'll give you a." Uh, loan. I know you'll pay it back unlike those greasy Mexicans and then Ramon's like well okay I guess we're doing it like <laughs> and they do a good job of that throughout the movie uh, especially Terry Crews' character I think worked really well in this yeah I like Terry Crews' character a lot <laughs> being a uh, a black man that thinks he's like passing as not a black man well that's that's yeah that's that's really funny the the thing about the all the characters, they are all what you would call disenfranchised in some way, except for Tommy. Mm-hmm. Tommy's a white guy. He's not really disenfranchised. And Danny. He could easily. Uh, yeah, I guess Danny isn't. Well, but Danny's either. is important because he, his, his like whole thing is a symbolism of failure where he was supposed to protect Abraham Lincoln, the symbol of like, you know, freeing the slaves. Yeah. That's fair. And he let him die. Like, 
that's just to compound this conversation about races. Look at yeah. in order to like, hey, if you're not paying attention, this guy accidentally got Abraham Lincoln killed because this is a satire about race. Yeah. And then uh, having Mark Twain in there, I thought was extremely clever because Mark Twain, you know, people try to ban his books every, oh, every once in a while. Yeah. He does this thing about satire and they're putting them literally in this movie at the same table as genociders, like uh -huh. some of the worst people in history. And then at the end of the movie, Mark Twain is at Tommy's wedding. And I, th I think they're doing a good job of showing, you know, he he's not at the same table as those people. And it's ridiculous to put him there. Yeah. I, th I think they did it well. I, kn I know there is problems with the movie. And there's legitimate concerns coming from people who worked from the movie. But as a whole, it, I think they did a good job of of satirizing the extreme racism of all those old movies. Yeah. Again, uh, when you do satire, you're opening yourself up to criticism, legitimate criticism. Uh, I, I totally get it. Like that people like I don't like Rob Schneider's character in yeah. this. I don't like that they called the uh, the fiance smoking fox. I don't like that. I don't like the 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 weird silly accent that they gave the a lot of the Apache because they have um, Jackie Sandler and um, the other um, woman who's been in a couple of these Adam Sandler movies, the one who usually plays like a weird girl. Yeah, uh, they have them play minor roles, and they have that you know they have like the it's where you talk kind of stunted and slow. Yeah, I don't know how to explain it other than it's like a it's a racist caricature of how you would talk. Yeah, yeah, it's just That's... it's it's not great. Um, yeah, uh, Dana Goodman was who you're thinking of, but uh, yeah, thank you. They they do a solid um, though. I think I'm trying to think of the way to say it. Through most of it, they do a solid way of staying out of that. Um, I don't think they needed to have. Jackie Sandler in this movie. No. That was like one of their worst decisions by far. Mm -hmm. But they were... I understand why they did it. They they set her up for Adam Sandler to make fun of her always coming onto her, him, and mm -hmm. being like slutty because it's his yeah. wife and he's like, I would never get with that woman and I want to yeah. be with this woman. <laughs> um, which is, you know, yeah, which is funny. funny, but, you know, in order to do that, they had to have her as a native and it kind of didn't work. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, there are definitely problematic elements. I don't think, like, it is less racist than an actual Western movie. Yeah. I know that's not, that's a, that's a low bar. I mean, but. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll give you one. I think this is less racist than most Quentin Tarantino movies. Like, yeah. Including The Hateful Eight. Which came out the same year. Yeah. Like, but in the, but like, Tarantino gets praised for, like, when he pushes buttons like that. And Adam Sandler gets like absolutely <laughs> oh, yeah. tossed around by critics because he is doing comedy and because his comedy includes crude stuff. So it's like an easy, you know, it's easy to to Yeah, say to he did a bad job and didn't mm -hmm. do it. Whereas Tarantino can hide behind the excuse of this is art, this is film, you know. Yeah. And I, I consider 
I'll, I'll say like Inglorious Bastards, I think, was like a satire, basically. Yeah. But I think that this movie legitimately did a better job of talking about that type of thing than that movie did. <laughs> well, I'm also thinking of some other Tarantino movies that are just as crude and weird and ridiculous as this one. Like uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood mm-hmm. was fucking ridiculous too. I mean, also like, we, we don't even have to talk about the fact that Tarantino loves saying the N-word. And I'm not saying he right. loves writing it into his script. He plays characters that say the N-word a lot. Uh, to a degree where people are constantly like, it's kind of weird that dude says the N-word all the time in his own movies. That's not yeah. great. So. You know what I have noticed? And I I, I don't think that Sandler deserves applause or a pat on the back. But I do think it, that it does show growth. Is that the F-slur hasn't appeared in any of his movies. Yes. Um, ever since... Uh, Chuck and Larry. The movie that came after Chuck and Larry. I think Which, it was actually Rain Over Me. I think that was filmed before, though, from what I looked up. After that, there hasn't been any. At least not that I picked up on. And I usually pick up on that stuff. There was no real... They do say terms in this movie, like Injun and uh, Savage, mm-hmm. but it's shown to be racist. Yeah, it's from the racist perspective, yeah. I don't have a problem with them showing racism in a movie. Right. They're not doing it for, like, jokes either. They're not, like... Yeah. You know, wouldn't it be funny if I said these words? No. Yeah, they are bad people. Yeah. And then they have, literally, the most racist character at the beginning show he's so dumb he would rip out his own eye to be part of a gang. (laughs) And And none of the other gang members (laughs) have done it. Yeah, this gang run... (laughs) The gang run by uh, Nick Swartzen, um, <laughs> a bunch of like very uh, stupid and lame characters are in that gang, and then they convince a dumb racist to pull out his own eye. It's so funny. Yeah, the the movie actually had some good jokes. I I liked that it felt like a western. I liked that they poked fun at things. I like a lot of the things that they did in this movie. I I 100% see where people are coming from when they say that they, th- they find this movie distasteful. But I think people should really think about what the satire is saying. It's okay if you think that the satire of this movie was poorly executed. Yeah. But don't just say, don't just like state an opinion and not be able to back it up. And don't, don't just state an opinion... Because someone else said it, either. Like, what I would like to see is, in which ways did this movie fail that Blazing Saddles didn't? Like, that that's something interesting I'd be willing to hear about. Yeah. Especially because... I think... Blazing Saddles had an issue with the fact that Mel Brooks wanted to... And I, I like the movie, and I think it's good, and it was well done. I think him wanting to talk about racism towards black people, he really didn't talk about racism towards natives in that movie very well. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Which, when you're doing a Western movie, I think is a uh, not not a bigger issue necessarily, but something that should be brought up more. Um, and this movie also made uh, some gags at uh, the fact that there was basically uh, indentured servitude from 
Asian immigrants in the Old West mm-hmm. too. Um, they like they didn't shy away from things, and I think that's a more honest way to make a satire than mm-hmm. than the other stuff. But yeah, I think like most of the biggest problems come from the fact that it is a crude movie, and when you have crude satire, people think that you're making light of issues, which I, it can be a legitimate criticism, but it's a criticism that I disagree with. Yeah, I think it's I think actually like that is a strategy of satire. Uh, it's called low burlesque. And the, also the fact that Adam Sandler, I really like it's his liberal attitudes toward things when when that's framed in a story like this, that's where you kind of get like the like, oh man, it's like when 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 grandpa tries real hard yeah, to to be, to be inclusive. Uh, you but know? like <laughs> I, I will say, there's no two sides on this. They, there's racism's bad, mm-hmm. their dad's a shitty thief, and capitalism is bad. Yes. They don't have a, well, but this guy's just doing an honest day's work and, like, you're hurting them. Nope. Uh, they hurt racist, shitty bigots, and it was fine, and it was a good thing, and they're okay with it. Like <laughs> That is right. All of the worst parts of this movie were Rob Schneider. Yes. Es- especially the, and Taylor Lautner. Taylor Lautner, why do you let that happen? You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> he he does a bad thing with the donkey, but he does. Um, I will say though, the scene where they try to hang Taylor Lautner, and he's just <laughs> doing jokes from up while being hung, and doing like uh, the Walking Man and stuff, and people are just horrified. That was a good ass scene. That was some good stuff. Yeah, I didn't mention why he was he was being hanged. Um, it was because they went to a town, and the sheriff said. Like he asks if there's a church and the sheriff says, there's no church here. We don't need a clergy to tell, tell us how to live and, and blah, blah, blah. And then Taylor Lautner's character says, oh, then it's okay if I do this. And he motorboats his wife. That's pretty, uh, it, it wasn't exactly either uh, that we don't need a church to tell us. It's uh, like, we'll do whatever we want is like what yeah. the guy says. <laughs> He's like, okay, well, I want to do this. Uh, it was, yeah. Yeah. And normally, I'd be like, "Ugh, sexual assault," but yeah, it was, it was it was done in a funny way. That sounds so callous of me. Yeah, I hope I hope that any listeners will give me a little bit more. Like, you know, I hope that you know what I was trying to say there. Well, like also, um, for me, I I my initial, I didn't laugh at that. I was like, "Ooh, that's not great for that character." And then it shows him being hung. And he like looks and he winks because he's trying to get himself hung, knowing that he was doing a bad thing. And I'm like, yeah, a little bit funnier. That's that's an interesting play on what was happening right there. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, not as bad as a, I was. I was really worried it was going to be like super racist from all the things that I had heard, you know. Yeah. But it's not as bad as I was dreading that it was going to be. Yeah. Uh, I enjoyed it. I liked it as a western. Uh, what are we watching tomorrow? The Do-Over. I know nothing about it. I don't either. Absolutely nothing. It's another Netflix one, right? Yeah. Um, we're past the Sony era, um, except for Hotel Transylvania 3. And thank God, fuck Sony. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're in the Netflix era, so we don't have to keep paying twelve ninety nine to watch Chodert 2. Those fuckers. Uh, well, you can find our podcast at Laugh at Him Pod on Twitter. And you can find our games at wannabegames.com. Uh, do we have any games that are like a Western? I mean, I can't. Oh, gosh. we. I feel like there might be one. 
do it's 10 paces yeah. i don't know why you have yeah. to do that <laughs> it's fun i like it <laughs> yes 10 paces it's a western game you can play as doc holiday in it you can have two guns or you can get sweaty and fake your own death good game it also uses our pace die system yeah tm 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 it is tm <laughs> it's ours yeah that is our system. You're not allowed to steal it and call it something else. But you can just use it. You can. You're allowed. Yeah. Uh, it is done under a Creative Commons license. So <laughs> uh, you can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash games. But instead, why don't you give your money to bhlegalfund.org. That is the uh, Black Hills Legal Defense Fund. And that will support indigenous activists who are protesting they're they're protesting um basically on their own land and are getting arrested for it so yeah give them some money plus they are like super cool i if you've ever watched one of the streams of their of their protests it's awesome oh here's a plug too for uh the news the news station i don't know what you would call it the website where Mm -hmm. i watched the stream was unicorn riot they do some really good coverage um pretty cool yeah i've also been watching uh Portland's protest through them. They do a great job. Yeah. yeah. You can see me tweet about stuff like that and other things at at Joska on Twitter. I ran out of steam there. Yeah. Um you can see me tweet about uh Val Kilmer and uh my friend who saw his penis once at Kitty Crusade. <laughs> I forgot that this is a thing that you know. Huh? Hey, spoiler alert. It was normal. Uh, Val Kilmer, take my wife, please. I'd allow it. <laughs> <laughs>